Okay, Acts chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to uh, grab one if you need to borrow one. If you need to uh, take it with you because you don't have a Bible that you can read or understand, that's our gift to you. We'll be glad to give it to you. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can find our live event right now. You can link it off of our Facebook page or just locate it by uh, geography. Feel free. Um, It's Acts chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. Everybody ready? Okay, now, in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now that's one verse, but we need to pause because that's a mouthful. Let's hold on to this for just a second. Hellenists, what are they? Hellenists are are Greek-speaking and generally Greek living Jews. So starting in 500 plus BC, 6th century BC, all the way up to about 63 or so BC, there were multiple, um, what the the history terms, the, the Jewish diaspora. In other words, because of the nature of where the location of Israel is, and because of the nature of conquering armies that came... People got relocated all the time through there. And so the Hellenists were those who had got moved into what you and I would know as kind of modern-day Europe under under the the, um, uh, Greek Empire first and then the Roman Empire. And so, um, and they had lived there, you know, three, four, five centuries, some of them. And what they had done was they had, as you and I would, they had kind of taken on their nature. They had taken on their looks. They dressed like folks uh, in, in kind of that Grecian area, in kind of that uh, um, European area. They began to dress like them. They be, their heart language changed, no longer Hebrew, uh, no longer Aramaic, probably Greek instead. Uh, and so uh, that began to change. The way that they viewed the world changed, all of that. So when they would come back for the feasts to the temple, um, what would happen was uh, the the folks uh, who were there and had stayed in in the Palestinian area, the Palestinian Jews would look at them and say, oh, I mean, you're one of us, but not really. Therefore, it's going to cost you more. It's uh, 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 going to be harder for you, whatever. You don't have, because you've been gone, you don't have as much to offer God as I do. Now, I say that because the setup here in Acts chapter 6 means this. There was cultural, massive cultural pressure on these folks um, to figure this out, right? And and because when something happens in the culture, it doesn't necessarily stop at the church door. Does everybody know that? There are influences that come. There are things that happen. There are mindsets that walk in the door that don't necessarily get changed in an instant just because somebody gets baptized. So as much as it was a logistical problem, they were missing the, uh, uh, the Hellenist widows, it was also, listen to me, a racial problem. Because they were looking at it and saying, this is, this, we can pass these, we can get by, we can, our people, we need to take care of our people. Now, I know that never happens in America today. And so I just want to say that I just, it does. It does. So today we get to talk about race. I've preached this passage probably six or seven times while here as a church. Um, and today I, I want to use, I want to let the passage speak to us about the issue of race. And it starts with the Hellenists complaining against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected. So here's a question. Why talk about race? Number one, the Bible talks about it. In Acts chapter 6, 
It's coming in Acts chapter 10. It's coming in Acts chapter 15. As we preach through the book of Acts, we will see that the Bible talks about race explicitly so. So if we're going to preach the Bible, guess what we get to talk about? We get to talk about race. Second question, or second reason is because to the glory of God, our church is slowly growing to be more diverse. We have folks here now, um, uh, and we have uh, folks who uh, have been born. We've got folks who are uh, raising their kids here. We've got uh, folks who have adopted um, uh, Um, people of color into their family. Like we've got this happening to the glory of God in our church. And so here's a question. Are they going to get great info from the culture out there on how to do this? No. Who's going to struggle with them and how to parent, how to love, how to rear the kids? Who's it going to be? It's going to be us as a church. And so we as a church are growing in that area and we need to continue to grow. And so we need to be ready. Uh, Thirdly, because they're not going to get great information from the culture. Uh, Culture right now is a hotbed on this particular issue, is it not? This is the the conversations, alleged conversations that happen in our culture regarding race are the places where you can get uh, uh, labeled in a second and dismissed in a moment. Am I right about that? So we need to talk about race. Question, and I have a lot of questions today, but here's one of them. Um, so, are you about to preach politics in here? If you've been around long enough, have I ever preached politics? No. Secondly, does anybody in here actually have hope that there's a political solution to this question? Therefore, let's turn to the Bible, folks. Let's turn to the Bible, okay? Um, so, in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men, mark this for later, of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And so they got these guys. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Okay, let's just stop right there. And here's what I want to do. I want to start it this way. I want to start affirming two very true statements, okay? Let's be like full volume, full-throated yes to these two statements. Number one, all lives matter. Can we say amen to that? Listen, here's why they matter. Because the Bible tells us in Genesis 1.27, every life is created in the image of God. Every one of them. Every one of them. So, Team Edge, you're going to run into some uh, folks uh, this week who uh, uh, were Harvey affected. You're going to run into some folks whose families got broken up. You're going to run into all sorts of people who have all sorts of baggage, all sorts of kids who have all sorts of baggage. And every one of them is valued by God and created in His image. Church family, Tuesday you're going to go to your meeting, and Thursday you're going to sit in your office and have a conversation on the phone, and on and on and on. You're going to walk by your neighbor, and every one of them was created in the image of God. Every one of them. Every one of us was created with this kind of, if you will, um, spiritual mirror to mirror the glory of God back to him and to the watching world. That's what it means to be created in his image. Let's all let's be let, let's affirm that. So, but but also not just created. Jesus died to save us. And so John 3:16, which we all know and love, God so loved the world that he sent his son. 
excuse me, so that anyone, how many, anybody, anybody who believes in him, he so loved the world that he sent his son for you and for me, so that if anyone believes in him, you and I and anybody else could have eternal life. Not only are we created in God's image, but also Jesus died, if you will, to recreate us via salvation in uh, in Christ's image himself. All created in God's image. All of us uh, died for and, and purchased, for everyone who believes, is purchased by the blood of Jesus. We're all. So let's be, let's be gloriously loud about that right there. All lives matter. Second thing, um, let's, let's be equally as loud about this, that those who experience injustice need our attention and our compassion. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Can you imagine if Peter, James, and John had said, well, all lives matter to that moment right there, and that's all that they did. We, we take our cues from the Bible because it helps us to know that in moments like this, when we see people experiencing injustice, they need our attention and compassion. What does that mean? That means, uh, just some examples here, uh, if we... Um, uh, God forbid, but if we saw a parent, for instance, so fresh away the kid, they picked their two-year-old up and started shaking the baby, what would we do? Certainly we would say, hey, 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 let's just, let's hold on to that for just a second. A story came out yesterday, I'll try to tell it in a way that honors the little ears in here, but a story came out yesterday about Fort, in Fort Worth about two kids who got, two 13-year-olds 13, uh, who got locked up in a fight, one of them had a knife and stabbed the other with an adult in the room, folks. In that moment right there, somebody has to speak up and say something, right? We have to do that. To just say, oh, well, I, I guess just all that. No, no, we can't dismiss it that way because really that's about my comfort instead of engagement. That's about me saying, oh, good luck with that, instead of me saying, hey, I'm going to love my neighbor and love them well. So let's, I, as a pastor, this is what I'm saying. To become servants in the kingdom, which is really where we're going and where the text takes us. We need to um, let our reflex become attention and compassion. That's what we need. People are hurting all around us. People are experiencing things all around. We need to let our reflex become attention and compassion. Will there be people who feel entitled? Yes. Will there be people um, who are seeking attention via this? Yes, there will be. Will there be people who will be kind of fake victims, faux victims in this? Yes. But let's be close enough to tell the difference. Compassion. Attention. Maybe this is me, and if this doesn't apply to you, you just think, I go to a church with an imperfect pastor, okay? I sometimes get caught up first in who's right and who's wrong instead of recognizing the personhood of this created being standing before me. Just because they are who they are doesn't mean they're right, and it doesn't mean that they're wrong. But first, I want to recognize personhood, and then I can get into the other conversations. Are you with me on that? All lives matter, but those experiencing injustice, just like these Hellenists here, just like these, they they need our attention and compassion. That's what it means to be, in this particular case, what it means to be a servant. So the follow-up question to that oftentimes is, well, I mean, but do they deserve it? Who did deserve 
God's intention and his compassion in here. Anybody? Nobody did. All we're doing is brokering what God has already given to us. So um, before we charge forward in the text, and we will in just a moment, but um, let me just think about with us some possible responses to this. Let's be gloriously loud on these two things, that all lives matter and that those who experience injustice need our attention and compassion. And that needs to become our reflex. I could just... I was talking to a friend of mine about the sermon. Uh, a couple, this is actually the sermon I was going to preach a couple weeks ago before Santa Fe happened. Um, and I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like you're at the computer screen being all computer nerdy and trying to... And then sending data up to the satellite so that it orients itself, positions itself to receive what it's supposed to receive. And I said, that's a great word picture for our people. So these kind of moments are that, that kind of orientation where we position ourselves to receive what God wants. And so there are some responses that could be uh, um, in the room and certainly uh, could be real, at least in our, our conversations. Uh, number one response goes like this. I could continue to be partial. I could just have ongoing partiality. Uh, it, breaks, it, it typically expresses itself like this. Hey, this is how I grew up. And this is just who I am. And I, I point this out. Jesus died for our sin and rose to give us new life so we don't have to stay who we are right now. Somebody say amen to that. Because we all have junk in our lives. We all have bondage in our lives. We all got stuff in our life, darkness in our life that Jesus died for and rose again so that we could then live out something differently. So James chapter 2, speaking specifically to partiality, says, hey, if you got somebody in and you choose one, if you got somebody who walks in the room right now and you choose one over the other because you're being partial in, in this particular way, you might as well be an adulterer. Because if you break one point of the law, you break all of the law. You're just as bad as an adulterer. Continued partiality. Second response could be this, and may, maybe a little more common, that we live in denial. It expresses itself like this. Um, try this one on for size. It's 2018. This doesn't really happen anymore. That's what you call nervous laughter in the room. <laughs> it's like the laughter version of a golf clap. I'm like, oh. This doesn't happen anymore? Um, the, the person that I called my pastor 30 years ago, experienced this. Um, he was a pastor in Oklahoma. Uh, God had used their church to do an incredible work. They baptized 100 people a year for five years. Unbelievable. And he had three alleged leaders from the church walk into his office one day and say, hey, listen, we don't like the things, we don't, excuse me, we don't like the people that are coming here now. Now, why he didn't flip a desk over and pull out a whip and get after it? I'm not sure, but I think he said something along the lines of, well, isn't it good news that Jesus saves all kinds of people? Yeah, but that was 1980, whatever it was. This is 2000, great. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, excuse me, the week that I was supposed to preach the sermon. Three weeks ago in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, this is very close to me in some ways. A family had adopted a little boy from Africa. And they were, had sent him to school, and this kid came home in tears. What happened, son? I was at school, and you, you'll get it. Uh, uh, 
somebody called me this particular name, a racial slur that I won't repeat. Son, I'm so sorry. That's terrible. They go back up to the school, sit with the principal. This is what went down. Do you know the kid's name? Yes, yes. He said it. Yes, 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 yes. Great. What are you going to do about it? Uh, Well, we're not going to really address it. Here's the quote. Because we're just not there yet. It was a Christian school. Allegedly. It's 2018. This doesn't happen. Right. How about we're in Houston? This stuff doesn't happen. We're in Houston, Texas, the most diverse city in the United States. Question, do we see all the diversity around us as people made in the image of God, created for a relationship with Him? Or the other way that this expresses this, living in denial, is something like this. If I had been there back in the day, if I had been there, I would have acted differently. Folks, church family, listen to me. We cannot deal with the sins of the present by pretending we would be different in the past. Probably the most common response is this third one, to withdraw. This is just too complicated an issue. It's too, it's too big of a problem. It's too hard. It's too heated a topic to discuss. It's too complicated. There's too many layers to understand. It's too personal. I don't know how to help, and I don't know how to make a difference. At best, all I want to do is do no harm. Can you imagine if Peter and James had said to the widows, hey, listen, just do no harm, okay? Like, that's really all we want to do here. The other way that this expresses itself, though, is something like this. Just... Just preach the gospel and all the rest will take care of itself. I simply point out that the apostles knew that this was inherent to what God was doing. Because he not only creates a new person, he creates a new people. And so in Ephesians 2, Paul picks this up, says Jesus died and he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, taking the two and making them one new man. Jesus himself prayed, God, let them all be one so that the world would know that you sent me. On and on we could go with this. It not only reflected the gospel in the reconciliation that happens on this kind of horizontal level, but it also furthered the gospel in in how it went out to the culture. Our passivity or our inactivity doesn't sound anything like love your neighbor as yourself. Last response. I don't recommend any of these four, by the way. But this last response... I'm just going to be colorblind. Martin Luther King said, let's judge them by the content of their character, not the color of their skin, right? I I think that's good. I really do. But to not recognize someone because they have a different skin tone than mine, what does that mean? That means that I don't recognize the creation that is before me, that God has made. I simply point out to this, folks, God is not colorblind. Like he literally put colors in the world. And so he not only made us different, some of us different, and he not only made us uniquely, intentionally so made us this way, he not only created us this way, he is also recreating something. I want you to put your thumb here, turn all the way to the back to Revelation chapter 7. And I want you to read this passage with me. Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked. 
And behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So we've got this beautiful picture of people around the throne, myriads upon myriads, right? I mean, you can't count the number of people and they have something in common. What is it that they have in common? They're all dressed in white robes. Thankfully, folks, the good news of Jesus, when we receive it into our lives, he makes us a new person. Amen to that. But he also creates a new people. And what kind of people did he intention? Not only did not only did he create these, but he is now saving. He was recreating them. He's saving them from what's to say from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Standing before the throne. The scene in Revelation seven is not the old original computer monitor CRT that were all green and black. That's not it. Not monochromatic. The scene before the throne in Revelation 7 is 4K HD awesome. Glorious. So we can't be colorblind. What are we going to be? We're going to be servants in the kingdom. Back to Acts 6. Verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men. What kind of servants are we going to be here? What kind? Here it is in verse 3. <clears throat> People, uh, servants who are of good repute. In other words, there is character that is rooted deep down in us. What kind of, what kind of servants? People of character. That's what kind of servants. People who have kind of the infrastructure of souls that withstand the pressures from the outside. People of character. Secondly, people who are full of the Spirit. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, of good character, full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. Um, Hearing the Word of God, led by the Spirit of God. And full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Oh, excuse me, I, I skipped a few verses. Uh, and, full, uh, and full of wisdom. Who know then how to navigate the difficulties posed by the world and the religious. People of character. What kind of character? Um, you could do a lot worse than the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, it, that, that list occurs in a Galatians chapter 5. And the whole book of Galatians is about how the gospel brings together Jew and Gentile. A racial issue. Paul even confronts Peter over it in Galatians chapter 2. People who are of the Spirit, led by God, who hear His Word. People who are people of wisdom. So compelled by the Spirit and armed with the wisdom of God, these men of character, they begin to serve the very people who wronged them in the first place. Think about that. Why did they choose these men? Because they were going to become these people? No, no, no. Because they were already these people. They had already kind of calibrated their lives to what, uh, to what God had done. They had already calibrated themselves to um, pay attention and to show compassion. To pay attention and to show compassion. The result is phenomenal, I think. Verse 7. They, he t- talks about who they pick out. Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. 
and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. They didn't add, they multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What happened as a result? Because the servants of the kingdom served everyone. Because they were willing in character and wisdom and the spirit to step out and serve anyone and everyone. Not only were the needs of the widows met, glory to God when needs get met. Not only were the needs of the widows met, but the, the word of God went forward and it, and it kind of blew up in the area. Multipl- multiplication happened in the church. So I say that to say this, church family, our willingness to calibrate our lives, to pay attention and to show compassion and build that in as our reflex to do those things, to pay attention and to show compassion. When we calibrate our lives, the, the gospel The spread of the gospel in so many ways is affected by that. Our willingness to serve everyone directly impacts the advance of the gospel in our area. One more time, for those who didn't hear it the first time. Our willingness to serve everyone, to pay attention, to show compassion, our willingness to serve everyone directly impacts the spread of the gospel So what do we do? We calibrate our lives. We let God punch in the code and then we kind of position ourselves to get ready to receive what he has for us. We position ourselves to pay attention and show compassion. And I can think of no better way, no better way to physically remind ourselves of that than community. Because God looked down on you and me in all of our brokenness and chaos and sin. And he didn't go, all lives matter, good luck, pal. He paid attention to us. and He saw us where we were with all of our junk and all of our baggage. And he moved toward us in pursuit. And when he got a hold of us, he didn't come from the top rope with a flying elbow. That's what we deserved. What did he do? He showed us compassion. So when we pass these elements, we're going to remind one another just by symbolically and powerfully reminding one another that we are sharing Jesus and and serving in his name as we pass these elements. We are paying attention. We are showing compassion. So I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward. Forward And uh, church family, if you need to close up your stuff, set it down, whatever you need to do, we'll have a moment where we prepare ourselves and then we'll take these elements together.